0: Welcome to a special episode of Last Month at the Federal Circuit, a look at recent decisions impacting the intellectual property community. In previous episodes, our contributors have discussed the Federal Circuit's decision in the Arthrex case, as well as the Supreme Court's grant of certiorari. On June 21st, the Supreme Court issued its opinion in the Arthrex case. Given the importance of this case, we have assembled a panel of our regular contributors to discuss what the Supreme Court's decision could mean for the patent community. Mike Jakes is currently the leader of Finnegan's Appellate Practice, He has appeared in over 100 appeals at the Federal Circuit and argued 50 times. Joining Mike today are Kathleen Daly, who has significant experience at both the Federal Circuit and the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, and Jason Romrell, one of the firm's appellate partners. Jason, let's start with you. Can you remind us what the Arthrex case is about?
1: Sure. So the Federal Circuit decided Arthrex over a year and a half ago now. The Appeals Court held that the judges on the Patent and Trial Appeal Board were unconstitutionally appointed. The Appointments Clause, which is part of Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, gives the President the power to appoint public officials with the advice and consent of the Senate. Although the Senate must confirm certain principal officers, Congress may delegate by law the Senate's advice and consent role to the heads of departments for inferior officers. Under the law that gives the patent trial and the Board its authority, the administrative patent judges on the board were appointed by the Secretary of Commerce. The Federal Circuit held in Arthrex that the judges were not inferior officers and should have been appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate. The Federal Circuit panel then said it could fix this constitutional problem by stripping out the part of the law that prevented the administrative patent judges from being fired without cause. This reduced them back to inferior officers and cured the problem with their appointment by the Secretary of Commerce. The Federal Circuit then vacated the board's written decision in validating Arthurx's patent and sent the case back for a new hearing before a different panel of administrative patent judges at the board.
0: So what was the immediate impact of the decision?
1: Well, the Federal Circuit's decision caused a lot of disruption because of the large number of cases already decided by the Board and on appeal in one stage or another at the time it was decided. In many appeals, over 100 or so, the Federal Circuit granted motions to vacate the Board's final written decisions and then remanded the cases back to the Board. In some cases, the appeals had already been briefed, and in others, motions were filed before any briefing on the merits. The federal circuit vacated the board's decisions regardless of whether there was an appointments clause challenge presented to the board in the first instance or included in the notice of appeal. As long as the argument was raised in the appellant's opening brief at the federal circuit or in a motion before any briefs were filed at the federal circuit, the court applied arthrox and vacated the board's decisions. Now, where the appointments clause argument wasn't raised in the appellant's opening brief, the Federal Circuit held that the argument was forfeited.
0: And how did the Arthrex case make its way from the Federal Circuit to the Supreme Court? Kathleen?
2: In the Arthrex case, no party was fully satisfied with the Federal Circuit's result. Arthrex, Smith and & Nephew, and the government each requested rehearing in bank, which the Federal Circuit denied. Each party then requested a review of different aspects of the panel's decision in three petitions for certiorari, which the Supreme Court granted. Meanwhile, back at the Patent Office, the board stayed all of the hundred plus cases that the Federal Circuit remanded pending the outcome of ARTHREX at the Supreme Court.
0: And now we know that outcome. What exactly did the Supreme Court decide in ARTHREX?
2: The opinion of the Supreme Court comprised two different combinations of justices. First, Justices Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined Chief Justice Roberts in holding that. Because administrative patent judges make final decisions that are insulated from any executive review, they exercise power that conflicts with the design of the appointments clause to preserve political accountability. That is, the court held that the unreviewable executive power exercised by the administrative patent judges is incompatible with their status as inferior officers. As for the remedy... Justices Alito, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined Chief Justice Roberts in holding that 35 USC Section 6C, which provides that only the board may grant rehearings, that cannot be constitutionally enforced to the extent that it prevents the director from unilaterally reviewing final written decisions. Instead, the court held that the director may review final board decisions and, upon review, may issue decisions themselves on behalf of the board. The court then went on to vacate the Federal Circuit's decision and remand it to the acting director to decide whether to rehear the petition for inter review that had been filed by Smith & Nephew. To be clear, the Supreme Court explained that the director is not required to review any decision. What matters is that the director have the discretion to review decisions of the administrative patent judges. In that way, the president remains responsible for the exercise of the executive power, and through him, the exercise of executive power remains accountable to the people. Because the source of the constitutional violation was the restraint on the review authority of the director, rather than on the appointment of the administrative patent judges themselves by the secretary of commerce, The court held that Arthrex is not entitled to a hearing before a new panel of administrative judges. Now, for those who are counting, there were only three justices who joined the remedy portion of Chief Justice Roberts' opinion. Justice Gorsuch did not. He would have deferred to Congress. Justice Breyer, joined by Justices Sotomayor and Kagan, dissented on the first issue presented and would have found that administrative patent judges were properly appointed but if there needed to be a change, they concurred that giving the director oversight is sufficient for a cure. So ultimately, seven justices agreed with the remedy, establishing discretionary director review of board decisions, making it the opinion of the court. Justice Thomas, who was joined in part by Justices Breyer and Sotomayor and Kagan, also dissented on the constitutional violation question and would have found that administrative patent judges were properly appointed inferior officers.
0: What ultimately convinced a majority of the court that the authority exercised by administrative patent judges conflicts with the Appointments Clause? Mike?
3: Uh, It really came down to the lack of direct review by an executive officer who was appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The Supreme Court considered all the various ways the director can indirectly influence the board proceedings or a particular panel. For example, the director can designate board members knowing that they are predisposed to decide a case in a particular way. And the government argued that the director could even vacate an institution decision if he caught wind of an unfavorable ruling on the way. And then if all else failed, the government argued the director could intervene in the rehearing process by manipulating the composition of the board panel on a request for rehearing. But the Supreme Court said these indirect levers, as it called them, they were the problem, not the solution. Even if the director could make a case come out a certain way, the parties wouldn't have either an impartial decision by a panel of experts or a transparent decision from a politically accountable officer. The Supreme Court also rejected the argument that reassigning or removing an administrative patent judge solved the problem. The director then still had no way to countermand the final decision once it was already on the books. As the court said, uh, quote, In all the ways that matter to the parties who appear before the PTAB, the buck stops with the APJs, not with the secretary or director. And that was the problem with the appointments clause.
0: Mike, back in October on this podcast, you predicted that the Supreme Court might agree with the Federal Circuit that administrative patent judges exercise power in violation of the Appointments Clause, but disagree with the Federal Circuit's remedy. And that's exactly what happened. Why did the court choose a fix for the Appointments Clause violation that was different from the Federal Circuit's?
3: So ARTHREX, the party, um, some of the dissenters of the Federal Circuit, and several Amiki They all identified problems with the federal circuit's fix, which was severing the tenure protections, and the problems um, were potential due process concerns. Several of the justices suggested during oral argument that they were looking for an alternative that would bring the board in line with more traditional administrative structures, and admittedly, that's not what the patent office had. Now, interestingly, uh, the Supreme Court didn't decide the merits of the Federal Circuit's remedy. Instead, the court explained that regardless of whether this at-will removal of APJs would cure the constitutional problem, review by the director was still better because that reflects the structure of supervision within the Patent Office and the nature of the APJ's duties. The court also noted that in every respect, except for the lack of executive branch review, administrative patent judges fully appear to be inferior officers. And that understanding is completely consistent with the way they're appointed, which is okay for inferior uh, officers, but not principal officers. So if the director has the authority to take control of the board and decide the outcome of cases, then the APJs would properly function as inferior officers. The Supreme Court thought this tailored approach would follow the almost universal model of adjudication in the executive branch, and then it would align the Patent and Trial Appeal Board with the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, where Congress had recently provided direct review in the Trademark Modernization Act of 2020.
0: As Kathleen noted earlier, the justice is split on both the Appointments Clause question and the appropriate remedy. Can you take us through some of the other opinions here, Jason?
1: Sure. So there were four opinions total, the opinion of the court authored by Chief Justice Roberts and three additional opinions. Justice Gorsuch filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part. Uh, While Justice Gorsuch agreed that administrative patent judges were executive officers accountable to no one else in the executive branch and that that was a violation of the appointments clause, he would have left it to Congress to fix the problem. In Justice Gorsuch's view, there were more than one possible ways out of this conundrum that they found themselves in. For example, Congress could have made the board decisions subject to review by the director as the court ultimately decided here, but Congress also could have specified that board panel members should be appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate and render their decisions directly reviewable by the president. So without some direction from Congress, the problem could not be resolved as a matter of statutory interpretation, especially where it appeared that Congress specifically structured the board the way it did to ensure that the administrative patent judges enjoyed some independence from the executive officers and thus possessed more impartiality. Justice Gorsuch further questioned the court's use of the severance doctrine and how it comports with traditional judicial remedial principles. Now, Justice Gorsuch also reiterated his views in oil states that the IPR system has fundamental problems, including with the independence of administrative patent judges and the board's claimed authority to overrule final judicial judgments affirming patent rights. He also indicated that he expects additional challenges to the IPR process will be forthcoming, including other due process problems that he believes were never properly addressed or fully addressed in the oil states decision. Justice Breyer also filed an opinion, and it was an opinion concurring in the judgment, concurring in the judgment in part and dissenting in part. And it was joined by Justices Sotomayor and Kagan. Justice Breyer would have found no constitutional violation and would have interpreted the appointments clause as granting Congress a degree of leeway to establish and empower federal officials. Given the technical nature of patents, the need for expertise, and the importance of avoiding political interference, uh, Justice Breyer believed that Congress chose to grant the administrative patent judges a degree of independence. And according to Justice Breyer, these were reasonable legislative objectives sufficient to justify the restrictions that Congress had placed on the director's authority. Now, as Kathleen mentioned earlier, for purposes of determining a remedy, Justice Breyer acknowledged that a majority of the court had reached a contrary conclusion on the basic constitutional determination. Because it addressed a specific constitutional problem that administrative patent law judges' decisions are not reviewable by the director alone, he agreed that the court's remedial holding was the right one and joined that part of the opinion, making Justice Robert, Chief Justice Roberts' remedy, the controlling remedy of the opinion. Now, Justice Thomas also filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan joined in part. Like Justice Breyer, Justice Thomas would have found no constitutional violation because administrative patent judges fall on the inferior officer side of the inferior principal divide. As Justice Thomas points out, it was agreed by everyone that administrative patent judges are not the heads of any department, and two levels of authority separated the president from the board's decisions. He also criticized the majority for really boiling down the court's earlier decision in Edmund to a single rule. All that matters is whether the director has the statutory authority to individually reverse board decisions. Justice Thomas also believed that at bottom the majority's decision had nothing to do with the validity of the appointments in question. In fact, he criticizes the majority for not expressly saying that administrative patent judges are principal officers. Instead, the majority simply policed this dispersion of the executive power among officers and appears to suggest that the real issue in the IPR scheme violates the vesting clause. And Justice Thomas believed that the majority's remedy, which does nothing to change how administrative patent judges are actually appointed, only underscored that there was no appointments cause violation to begin with here, and according to Justice Thomas, if the majority truly believed administrative patent judges are principal officers, then the majority would need to vacate the board's decisions.
3: On that last point, it's interesting to note that Chief Justice Roberts, he directly addressed Justice Thomas's complaint that the majority never actually said whether APJs are principal officers. Who were not appointed as required by the Appointments Clause, or inferior officers who exceeded the permissible scope of their duties under the Appointments Clause. But in the Chief Justice's uh, view, there wasn't a need to say either way. According to uh, the majority opinion, both formulations describe the same constitutional violation. Only an officer properly appointed to a principal office may issue a final decision binding the executive branch. So what will happen now with
0: ARTHREX at the Patent and Trademark Office? Kathleen?
2: The ARTHREX case will go back to the Federal Circuit and eventually back to the Patent and Trademark Office. The Supreme Court has said that there must be an adequate opportunity for review by a principal officer there, the director of the PTO. And the PTO will have to provide guidance and rules on how it will implement this opportunity for discretionary director review in all IPR proceedings moving forward. The PTO recently issued guidance on an interim director review process in IPR and other post-grant proceedings following ARTHREX. Under this interim procedure that they've established, the director may decide on their own to review a decision from the PTAB, or a party to a proceeding can request review by the director. The office has stated that it will seek public feedback on this procedure and this process and that it may modify it going forward. For this new interim procedure, a request for direct review can be made within 30 days after a final written decision from the board in lieu of a petition for rehearing before the board, or it can be made following a decision on a petition for rehearing. If this director review is sought before seeking rehearing before the board, the party would not be permitted to then seek rehearing before the board. The PTO has also indicated that this new request for direct review will have to satisfy 37 CFR Section 42.71 d which sets out the standard for seeking rehearing before the board. Namely, the request for direct review would have to specifically identify all matters believed to be misapprehended or overlooked in the decision and identify where those matters were addressed in the briefing before the board. Mechanically, review would be sought by entering the request for rehearing in in the PTAB's filing system and submitting a notification to the director at a particular email address they've established that has been set up for uh, such requests. I should point
3: out uh, right now, there is no uh, director of the Patent and Trademark Office who has been appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. That uh, position is empty. Drew Hirschfield is uh, currently performing the functions and duties of the director. But it appears, at least from these uh, interim guidelines, that the Patent Office intends to have this acting director conduct this new review procedure. But as I read the Arthrex opinion, this won't satisfy the requirement of having a presidentially uh, appointed and Senate-confirmed director, which was what the Supreme Court said was required. And until there is a uh, confirmed director, I don't know what this will do to the timing of these requests to the director. Uh, it's possible that there could be another presidentially appointed and confirmed member of the of the Commerce Department who could uh, be acting director of the Patent and Trademark Office. But uh, until somebody fills that position, I'm not sure how the uh, review by Drew Hirschfeld, who's Just performing the duties of the director will satisfy what the Supreme Court said.
0: How will ARTHREX impact cases that are currently at the Federal Circuit?
2: The Federal Circuit recently issued an order in pending appeals from the board involving an appointments clause challenge. Parties that have preserved the appointments clause challenge were ordered to file a 10-page brief within 14 days of the order explaining how they believe their case should proceed in light of the ARTHREX decision and then 10-page responses are due from the other parties, including the Patent Office, 14 days thereafter. For the most part, these cases were decided at the board after the Federal Circuit's decision in ARTHREX, but before the Supreme Court required this opportunity for discretionary director review. Additionally, the Supreme Court recently granted cert in several follow-on petitions, where they vacated the Federal Circuit's decision and remanded those cases for further proceedings in light of ARTHREX. This included consolidated petitions filed by the government challenging the Federal Circuit's remand of multiple cases for a new hearing before a new panel at the board. These appeals will now go back to their original Federal Circuit panels. We expect that the Federal Circuit will issue an order in all of the affected cases that were part of the certiorari petitions similar to what we saw in the cases that were pending at the Federal Circuit when the Arthrex case was recently decided by the Supreme Court. What exactly happens in these appeals that were impacted by the ARTHREX decision will depend on the particular facts of the case. Some parties may elect to stay at the Federal Circuit rather than going back and asking for direct review, which is discretionary and not guaranteed. Also, there are several cases on the Federal Circuit's July calendar coming up that include potential ARTHREX-related issues, so we'll be watching those cases closely as well. Mike, what effect will discretionary
0: director review have on the outcome of IPR proceedings moving forward?
2: Well,
3: uh, we won't really know until we see this discretionary review in action, which, as I said, may have to wait for a new director. But there are some analogies that suggest that discretionary review by the director will rarely have much of an impact. For example, at the uh, International Trade Commission, the president can review commission decisions Maybe that's an appropriate analogy, but in practice, the president rarely does uh, review those ITC decisions. The situation here is obviously different, but uh, it's still unlikely, I think, that the director will want to do anything to make IPR proceedings appear biased or unfair. There's also concern about the timing and whether discretionary review would slow down the proceedings. I think that the uh, the patent office will want to make the procedure as streamlined as possible so that it doesn't affect how long it takes to complete the review by the federal circuit on appeal.
0: In cases where the director does exercise discretionary review, is that the final
3: word? I think it will be, at least from the patent office. The director would have the final word from the executive branch, but there's still judicial review by the federal circuit in addition. So the court in Arthrex explained that When reviewing a decision by the director, a court has to apply the principles of Marbury versus Madison and has to decide the case conformably to the Constitution. The court has to disregard the law that places restrictions on the director's review authority, which would be a violation of Article 2. So the director does have the final word from the executive branch, from the patent office, but the director's decision will be reviewed by the Federal Circuit. Like any other board decision under the Administrative Procedure Act, factual findings should be reviewed for substantial evidence, legal questions reviewed de novo, and those procedural or evidentiary rulings made in the director's decision reviewed for an abuse of discretion.
0: Okay. Well, let's wrap up with one last question. What impact will the Supreme Court's decision in Arthrex have beyond the patent world? Jason?
1: Well, the Supreme Court specifically mentions the civilian and postal boards of contract appeals as perhaps being most similar to the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. Uh, The Administrator of General Services and the Postmaster General appoint members of these respective boards whose decisions are appealable to the Federal Circuit. Now, because these are relatively young boards, and young regimes, they were established by Congress in 2006, the court ultimately did not find that they provided a foothold in history or tradition across the executive branch that somehow justified the way that the Patent Trial and Appeal Board was set up. And, and now their structures could be in question after ARTHREC. Now, there are potentially uh, other affected adjudicative regimes that lack final review by a principal officer. But all this said, there could be subtle differences in these bodies that might distinguish them from the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. In fact, the ARTHREX majority emphasized that it was not attempting to set forth an exclusive criterion for distinguishing between principal and inferior officers under the Appointments Clause. Uh, Many decisions by inferior officers do not bind the executive branch to exercise executive power in a particular manner, and the court did not address supervision outside the context of this adjudication. Now, more fundamentally, though, the Arctic's decision could be viewed as a shift away from Congress's efforts to create administrative schemes that are somewhat insulated, from political appointees. Now the director, a political appointee, has the final say in board decisions at the executive branch. But of course, as Mike pointed out, the director's decision is uh, reviewed by the federal circuit. So there is an Article Three check that remains in place.
0: Okay. Well, clearly a lot to unpack with this decision, but we'll leave it there for now. Jason, Mike, Kathleen, thank you so much. Our guests have been Mike Jakes, Kathleen Daly, and Jason Romrell, partners at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.